Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, your host, life coach, and psychotherapist, and this is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. In today's episode, I am discussing part two of getting real to thwart depression. If you haven't listened to the first episode, you might want to start now and go back an episode and then come back to this one. We're going to pick back up at number seven. Hard work is required. Now, one of the blessings of my youth is that I was raised with this. This was required of people in this family. We were hard workers. It's part of the culture of the family. And there were times when I hated it as a kid, loathed it would think every awful curse word my little eight-year-old self could think about any adult that was making me work really hard. And they would say things to me like, ah, you'll thank me for this later. And if looks could kill, they wouldn't have survived the moment. And it's, But it's really true. It is really, really true. I am appreciative of that in this moment. Work ethic has saved my life. Someone will often fare better if they have more work ethic than less. And survival mode creates a sort of desperate work mode. While it's not ideal, there's that word again, it is what a lot of us need to do to get out of the hole of a dysfunctional childhood or a dysfunctional relationship or a deep, dark depression. Another hard truth in this realm of hard work is that Any of us can work very, very hard and we can absolutely have it pay off in the form of hitting the goals as we expected, wanted. But it's also true that we can work just as hard, maybe harder, and none of those goals can come to fruition because, again, it is a co-creation. Not everything is meant for everybody. And as much as we are sort of meant, for lack of a better way to say that, to hit so many of our goals and dreams in this lifetime, we are also meant to not hit those goals. Learning to deal with disappointment, learning to pivot, learning to flow, learning to change our minds as highly sensitive people pleasers is also a part of this life journey. All of it is hard work. The internal work is hard work. The external work is hard work. And humans have been working hard since the beginning of time. 
If you think you can't work hard or you don't know how to, please stop that lie with yourself. Please flip that, reframe it to, I can work hard. I really can. There is a satisfaction from a hard day's work, from pushing through when you wanted to quit. And there are a lot of kids right now that are depressed because they haven't had enough people push them into having that feeling. They don't know that satisfaction. That drive to work hard, to go after something doesn't get awakened. And that is a tragedy. Hard work is required. Sometimes if part of your abuse history was being overworked and you don't do enough healing there, Sometimes parents overcorrect and they make their children's lives so easy because theirs was so hard. As you've heard me say before, if you're a longtime listener or you've worked with me, dysfunction works at the polls. If you're trying to overcorrect for that type of childhood, it will harm your children just in a way that was very different than how that overwork harmed you. Number eight. This is a little similar to number one, but I think it's worth noting. Everyone and every being does not live a long and full life. Now, my human part does not like this. If there is an idealism that I would like to grab and hold on to, it's that I would love everyone to be able to live a long, full, awakened life. What's helped me with this is leaning in to my spiritual side. Spiritually, I know and I believe with every fiber of my being that spiritually, if every single person lived a long, long, long life, we might take each other for granted. Just like if a beautiful, sunshiny day just kept on going and kept on going and we didn't have any night for a long time, we'd get to the place of, screw this bright, beautiful, sunshiny clear sky day. We'd want some night. We need the interplay of darkness and light. We need night and day. We need success and failure. We need awake and we need sleep. Everything is a duality. Some lives will be cut to our human part tragically short. And what that does for the rest of us is it teaches us over and over and over again to value ourselves and the very people that we can love, that we can reach our arms out and touch and pull close to us. When we live in other states or even other countries and people we love, when we see them, we soak them up. We have opportunity to tell people, I love you. You're important to me. I value you. I miss your smile. I love it in my life. Everyone doesn't live a long life, and we can deal with this reality too. It helps us value our own. It helps us not take it for granted. It helps us own the reality that we all need to stress less and value this precious life, our own and that of each other. Number nine, when we do lose people, whether that's to life circumstances or to death, The amount of hurt or grief that we feel is not proof of how much we loved them. Now, this is a subconscious belief. It's not that we consciously say to ourselves or consciously say out loud, I am going to intentionally be a puddle on the ground. 
I am going to almost have a heart attack and crack open and die because I loved someone so much. That is exactly the right thing to do. That's a good strategy. Let me walk forth and live that out. That is not the way that this dynamic unfolds. But the truth is we feel a survivor's guilt when we're still here and somebody else leaves their human body. And we think, how can we go on when this other person can't? There's a biological drive there because we're a tribal species. That way back when, caveman days, we needed to feel so much pain if someone was lost from the tribe because that pain would make us go find them, would make us keep everyone with us, keep us safe. That has evolved into modern life that when we lose someone, we dig a depression hole as if we should be just as hurt in equal amounts of our love, of our connection. When we really zoom out and when we're not in the actual pain of it, of that loss, of that lost attachment to their human form, and we, we feel that loss of attachment like we feel the severing of an arm. But when we zoom out and when we're not in that pain, we can likely see that actually it's, it's a flip-flop. It's the opposite of that. It's actually I shouldn't waste any of my precious life if someone else lost a life. I should live more fully. I should experience more in their honor instead of making my life small and sad and depressed and experienceless. This is a resiliency that we can learn to have more and more and more as we age and get older and have more practice with losing people and losing things and grieving. Number 10, there are no white knights and there are no victims, only volunteers. Now, one of my beefs with all politics right now is this sort of underlying, not so subtle message that basically says, Vote for me or us and we will save you. It's kind of laughable when you really think about it. I don't need saving. I need the manipulation and the emotional string pulling that divides the human connection. I need that to stop, to be taken out of politics. And this is exactly why I beat the drum of this message. That when we really do the work to heal ourselves, to be more authentic to be truthful beings, to be earnestly and honestly trying to do what is right moment to complex moment to complex moment for ourselves and for each other, we really can't manipulate if we're living the truth of that. And when we catch ourselves in a manipulation and a half-truth, if integrity is present, we do our best to clean that up, to not repeat it to repair anything that might need repairing between human to human. So if each politician embodied what I'm saying, we probably wouldn't have so much manipulation. If we were really truthful with ourselves about what was good for us and what wasn't, we might meet our goals. We might be prouder. We might have less depression. 
I know that this is another thing that no one really thinks. I am waiting for a white knight. I am just going to sit on my ass until someone comes and saves me. This is not the conscious way that our psychology works. I am quite independent and quite hardworking and always have been. But I can see this truth of this idealized belief, this irrational way of desiring the world to work. And the worst, most abusive relationship that I was a part of, I can see that I sort of just sat in a hole, kind of disoriented. And sure, I have compassion and understanding for that. But if I could go back in time and talk to that version of myself, I'd be like, get your ass up, girl. What are you doing? What are you waiting for? You see the writing on the wall? You see what's happening here? Come on. Come on. You got to get going. You got to figure it out. Nobody's going to figure it out for you. And then I'd have to let her really scream at me because I would have told myself, I'm trying as hard as I can. This is the best I can do. And the truth is, it wasn't. I had kind of given up. And that's the tragedy of how our subconscious waits for that white night. I was. It's the truth. I was waiting for somebody to show up and go, hey, Nikki, here's the path. It's all clear. Now you can start walking it. And that's not how it works. There isn't some clear yellow brick road that unfolds before us and then we walk it. The truth is we have to be the bricklayer. We have to get up and go, damn it, I need a road. And we have to reach, grab a brick. Sometimes we have to make the brick. And then we have to put that brick down. Then we have to step and then we have to put another brick and another brick and another brick and another brick. And as we build that road, other people will find that road too and join us. It won't be so lonely. But in the moments that we're stuck, we do so much for ourselves. If we face, there is no white knight. There is no savior. What brick do I need to lay next and get my ass moving? Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Number 11. Empathy without boundaries is death. And I know that sounds dramatic, but bear with me. Empathy without boundaries is death, whether it's a slow or a fast one, and it creates victims. Being boundaryless is really a permission to overfunction for other people and be in complete denial of what your own life needs and be in complete dismissal of the value of your own existence. Often when I ask people, what do you like about yourself? It's like dead air. Uh, I don't know. Now, when I ask, what don't you like about yourself? The pen and paper nearly catch on fire with the speed with which people can list out all the things they don't like about themselves. 
Now, when I push people, what do you like about yourself? Come up with some, with something. After all that dead air and umming, I'll hear, I'm really good at taking care of other people, almost universally. This is the struggle of the people pleaser, of the codependent, of the adult whose younger self learned that to get value, to get attention, to feel as good as they could possibly feel, their entire existence was about showing up for other people. This is very easy for highly sensitive people and empaths to fall into abuse or no abuse in history because we're the big feelers. Science is proving we have more mirror neurons. We have more stuff going on with our nervous systems and in how our nervous systems relate to our brains, our sensory systems, we sense more, literally. And when we sense more, we pick up, sometimes very beautifully, that I did, did something nice. I brought somebody a cookie and they just lit up. And that's a great feeling. I mean, it makes sense. Why would I not create that feeling again? We have to recognize that that's a great feeling and we can have it a lot. But if we start to have that in lieu of creating that feeling inside of ourselves, for ourselves, with ourselves, we almost become addicted. Yeah, that's a big word. But we almost become addicted to getting that feeling from serving other people. And what that creates is a resentment, a depression, a low self-worth. Because imagine that from the inner child's perspective. If my inner child watches me just show up for other people left and right, rightly so. My inner child has every right to look up at me and go, um, excuse me, does it ever get to be about me? Like ever? You're going to take care of me? Can I have some of that goodness? Because you kind of just give it all away till you're wiped out. What about us? So empathy without boundaries can absolutely ruin us. That's part of why I'm so passionate about teaching boundaries. All right, 12. Oh, nope, not 12. Yep, 12. This one's very basic. You are what you eat. We are mind and body, y'all. Constant interplay. Now, I am not of the school of thought that my body is a temple. Many spiritual teachers will say that. Many relig religions will say that. I lean more towards Anthony Bourdain's way of being. And he sums it up in this quote. Your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. Now, hard truth is, as much as I like this way of being, I'm not sure Anthony Bourdain took enough care of himself or, or he might still be with us. So I'm an amusement park ride kind of person for this lifetime, but I also believe in doing maintenance, upkeep. You can't throw wrenches into the mechanisms of those amusement park rides and expect them to work really well. Those machines need to be oiled. They need to be looked at. They need to be considered. They need to be checked. They need to have proper fuel, proper electricity. I'm cool with wear and tear on this body of mine, but I'm equally committed to maintenance and rejuvenation because I want to ride all the rides at the amusement park of life. And to do that, I'm going to want to be here a very long time. And the part that I have control over is how I take care of this vessel. All right, 13. If you are trying to identify very strongly with religion, with autism, with any gender, with a political group, 
with any kind of physical or mental diagnosis. Yes, even a sports team will fit what I'm saying right here. It might mean, it might mean that you aren't really developing your own personality and you might be leaning on the group personality. And this undoubtedly feels really good at first. Acceptance, similarity, shared experience, shared struggle. But especially if you are a seeker, you are likely to seek out new and different roles, ideas, styles, activities. I have seen so many seekers very, very hurt when they make any kind of group identity part of their identity very strongly instead of just a place to get support or a place to connect or a place to have fun even. Very, very hurt. And they feel shunned from a group just because they change and evolve. That kind of inclusion really is sort of an outer inclusion. It's about how you present on the outside. It's about what you practice, what you believe in, what you do. And what deep people are really yearning for is inclusion for their inner self, acceptance of their inner self. So if you are a part of any of these groups that I've talked about, I want to encourage you to do what you need to do to be true to yourself and know that you can always change your mind. You can always evolve. You can always expand. And expansion brings more expansion. And those of us that are seekers, we might lose more people along the way than the average person because the average person might not have as many evolutions, as many rebirths. They might be very satisfied as they identify today, they may in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, but seekers very well may not. So what I encourage seekers to look for in other people or in other groups is this idea of inner acceptance of the spirit of the person that you are. We can learn to look for people who can support an expansion, not just of their own that they've experienced too, but of your expansion, especially when it's different than their expansion process. I can do this for people, and I assure you that many people can do this. But they are in a dime a dozen, and you might not trip over them like every five feet. Number 14, almost every deep-feeling human being, in my opinion and experience, will at some point over this long, challenging life have suicidal ideation. And we tend to not normalize that. We tend to say that that is a part of depression or even a depressive personality, that that's a mental health sort of illness criteria. But it's natural for our human psychology to want escape routes. If I boarded up the doors and the windows in the room that you're in right now, you would try to find a way out of there. And when life feels like it's boxing us in, we naturally think about how to get out of here. So it's a fine line, right? And it scares people to talk about because we don't want to okay suicidal thought. We don't want to encourage it. And we don't want to make people feel shameful for feeling those thoughts or thinking those thoughts. 
But we have to start telling people the truth about these thoughts and not confounding the truth of this with shaming. We can't play around with these suicidal thoughts like some kind of grenade. You know, if somebody just, if, the, if a grenade dropped out of the sky into your lap, you'd probably hold it for a second. And then as your mind figured out what it was, you'd want it to be away from you real quickly, right? Because it's dangerous. It could explode. Suicidal thoughts are very similar to this. And what I tell people who are working with me is, I, I want you to be able to acknowledge that that thought is happening but like that grenade, I want you to get it away from you. You can't just sit there and play around with that thought until something blows up. Part of taking care of ourselves and helping our inner child is being able to step in for ourselves and say, nope, this is not okay. This is never an option. If we are thinking about hurting ourselves and forming a plan, we have spent way too much time playing around with those thoughts. We need to tell somebody in our world and we need to tell ourselves that is not allowed. It is not an option. And the fact that I am thinking this means I'm not thinking clearly and I need to seek help. This is one of the things, believe it or not, that I appreciate from my Catholic upbringing. Now, they certainly added some doses of shame to the whole no Catholics kill themselves because you burn in hell if you do. That's the teaching. And Catholics, like lots of religion, try to use fear and shame to control, influence, and guide people. And it does, but it has consequence. We don't want to feel shameful about the very human experience of having some suicidal thoughts. But we can do a better job with ourselves and with each other and mental health professionals, I'm talking to you, about saying this is a grenade that we cannot just let sit in our laps as soon as we realize we're having these thoughts, we must throw these thoughts away. Now, life is this great complex ride, y'all. I didn't use this word all episode, but I do consider myself a stoic. And that much of stoic philosophy has really helped me manage this life. As a stoic and a spiritualist, I accept the real challenges of being alive while looking for the beauty and the fortification within it all. When we're dealing with the reality of things and not the idealism of things, we are fortifying ourselves for this life every moment, every day, every week, every month, every year, getting real and dealing with what I can actually and truly control and influence has been a game changer in my life and so many people that I've worked with. I have more peace and more joy facing and dealing with the real things than trying to bury them or look the other way or create an expectation that it's going to be so ideal or easy. There's so much in all of us that is very different and yet very, very similar. As you grow into more truth with yourself, you will figure out your own artful ways of moving through this life. What works for you? What doesn't? I hope now and always there was something in this episode that helps you see yourself or the world or the way that we relate with more clarity, more depth, more simplicity that helps you guide yourself through. I want to thank some of you who are Patreon supporters of the show. I want to thank those of you who are voting right now for our next Patreon Pay It Forward. You can still vote. We're going to keep it up all of the month of August. 
and I'll announce the winner in September. Part of what you get when you are a patron, other than all the exclusive episodes and content and live streams that you get instantly, you get a shout out right here. And I want to thank Debbie and Sandra, Anne-Marie, Rose, Amy, Kirsten, Sherry, Lauren, Anne, Miss Liz, Stephanie, Mary, Carol, Vivi, and Maris. I can't believe we're already in August. Time just goes by faster and faster as we get older, doesn't it? Boundaries course is going to be here in a blink. This is my foundational course. This is the stuff that I think highly sensitive people who grew up with dysfunction in childhood, this is the stuff that you need. You can read as many books as you want on boundaries and what they are and how to do it. But without the foundation of knowing more of who you are, where you start and stop and where another starts and stops, what we actually control, letting go of expectations, how to light up for ourselves, there's so much nuance, just like what you like to listen to in each episode, the way that when I was younger, I thought was weird and strange, and I had to be more like my academic colleagues. If you like my own flavor of weird and strange and how I present stories and how I teach and how you can feel what I'm feeling because I I let that part of me show, that's how I teach in the Boundaries course. If you're on the fence, come join us at a live stream in the Patreon. That'll give you a nice little sample of what happens to my energy as I step more into becoming the teacher than the person talking on the microphone. And what happens when we have a group? There's a beautiful flow of energy. I know a lot of you are introverted, sometimes scared about that. There's no video. Nobody can see you. But there is a sharing aspect. And with loneliness being a number one issue right now for all people, and particularly sensitive people, that's another element of what you'll get either in the Patreon or in the Boundaries course. So come hang out, come sign up. To learn more about the Boundaries course or sign up, come to emotionalbadass.com backslash boundaries. I'm an emotional badass, you're an emotional badass, and together we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love, and I will see you right here next time. Bye-bye. At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.